This WBEZ podcast is supported by the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. Suicide is a topic that hides in the shadows. It's time we talk away the dark, learn how to spot the warning signs for suicide, and how you can have an open, caring, real conversation to help save lives. Visit the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention to watch the new short film and learn more at AFSP.org slash talkawaythedark. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at WBEZ.org slash events. Well, would you look at that? It's Friday once again. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and this is WBEZ's Weekly News Recap. And happy February, everyone. I hope the first month of the year treated you very well. It's time to get into this week's biggest stories. The killing of Tyree Nichols sparked protests in Chicago. On the day of Tyree Nichols' funeral in Memphis, protesters gathered at Chicago police headquarters. They're demanding more to be done to protect the public. The White House made a big announcement. The Biden administration has announced that it is letting the COVID-19 public health emergency expire on May 11th. And mayoral candidates addressed violence in the city. Fundamentally, what this is about is what are the strategies that we are using to keep people safe? We do have, you know, folks who want to defund the police, folks who want law and order. We have to realize that most people sit in the middle. With us now to break down the news is Alden Lowry, a WBEZ Data Projects editor. Lorraine Forte is head of the editorial board for the Chicago Sun-Times. And Maxwell Evans is a reporter at Block Club Chicago. Alden, the mayor's race is heating up. We've got three and a half weeks until Election Day, nine candidates running. If one of them doesn't get more than 50 percent of the vote, the top two will head to a runoff. Is it pretty safe to say that we've got a runoff in our future? I think it's pretty safe to say that, yeah. If uh, the uh, last election where we had 14 candidates, I believe, in 2019 is any indication, I think Life was the top vote getter with 19 percent of the vote. So, yeah, I think it's pretty clear we're, we're headed to a runoff. And I'm going to go through that list just as a reminder to all the folks listening. The candidates include State Representative Cam Buckner, Congressman uh, Jesus Chuy Garcia, activist J. Maul Green, Cook County Commissioner Brandon Johnson, Alder, Alderwoman Sophia King of the 4th Ward, incumbent Mayor Lori Lightfoot, Alderman Roderick Sawyer of the 6th Ward, former CPS CEO Paul Vallis, and businessman Willie Wilson. So, Lorraine, we know that from polling crime, that's a top issue for Chicagoans. Um, You think the candidate who communicates the best plan to reduce crime wins the race? Is that it? Um, I mean, it's important, but there are a lot of other factors to consider. Right. There are other factors. There's schools. There's there's uh, public transit, although crime on public transit is uh, is part of the crime issue. I think the person who, uh, who who can get across to people that it is a complex problem. There is no magic bullet. Yes, we do need, you know, uh, law enforcement. You need someone to call when someone breaks into your home. But we also need to address things like lack of education, other things that put people on a cycle to where they're more likely to get involved with crime. And I I think, you know, Chicagoans are pretty sophisticated. They, I think, understand that this is a complex issue. And the person, I would hope, who can shed the most light and not heat on the subject 
probably has a good chance to become the next mayor and, and relate the crime problem to other problems. Yeah. You know, you you got to keep businesses in the city and businesses won't stay if they're, you know, feel like they can't run a base business safely and people want you want to get people on public transit they're not going to ride cta if they feel like crime is is out of control yeah so well there's one candidate trying to break out by talking pointedly about police accountability and that's mm-hmm. uh jamal green maxwell he recently spoke with block club chicago so what is his plan Yes. Yeah, so Jamal is a community activist who has protested against police violence, among other uh, topics in the city of Chicago. Um, he's called for a $100 million investment in public safety measures outside of policing, like violence interrupters, as well as $30 million for a youth intervention program. So really trying to push for uh, solutions outside of policing in his campaign. He's also been one of the, the few, if not the only, candidates who has not explicitly called for more policing, as that's been one of the uh, major issues that a lot of candidates have brought up. If he wins, he would be the city's youngest mayor. How much does the pushback that he's receiving have to do with his age, Alden? Well, I would say that uh, it has a fair amount to do with it. Uh, Kind of uh, in a very uh, colorful exchange, uh, I want to say in their most recent uh, debate or uh, forum, uh, candidate Willie Wilson uh, essentially uh, noted uh, how that he doesn't uh, he doesn't respond to children. I'm so glad you brought that up, Alden. Let's let's play that clip. (laughs) First, it is disgusting that we have a 70-plus-year-old man on this stage who is a sharecropper from down south who would get on TV and constantly double down on hunting people down like rabbits. He should know what that means and know how it feels. And when you have that mentality that Willie Wilson has, um, you have Tyree Nichols, you have George Floyds, you have Anjanette Youngs. We cannot have that in this city. We should not even be continuing to talk about expanding the police budget. And since Lori is so pro-police, uh, when I'm mayor this year, I hire her as one. Uh, Willie Wilson, J. Mo Green threw a punch there. Uh, 30 seconds. Well, I don't respond to kids. So that was a, a tense moment there, an exchange between uh, activist J. Mo Green and Willie Wilson. Yeah. What were you saying there, Alden? Um, so I, I think uh, anyone who's running for mayor of Chicago, city of Slider Chicago, and is 27 years old is gonna is gonna run into some pushback. You know, people not feeling uh, confident that this is someone who's been around long enough. Um, and I think J-Mall's style is also one that might rub some folks uh, the wrong way. Uh, as a community activist, he has been electrifying. I mean, mm-hmm. he's. Uh, he shut down uh, a ton of uh, Chase Banks, um, uh, perhaps is the most uh, uh, kind of uh, prominent thing that he's done uh, in response to some reporting that we've actually done here at WBEZ um, and got a lot of eyeballs and attention. But I think he may have also kind of uh, kind of got got the backup of a number of people who felt maybe he was a little too brash, too bold. Um, but uh, I, I think his inexperience is something that a lot of voters are, are going to maybe they may be clued into what he's saying yeah. so a lot of what he's saying particularly if you're a progressive thinker are things that you would agree with but the question is you know here's this humongous city with this en- enormous budget you know is he gonna have the wherewithal to really kind of be able to manage uh, and, and keep keep control of that well according to our friend on youtube chicago 675 jamal has a very bright future in politics that's a comment left by one of our viewers watching us right now break down the week's news Let's listen to another clip. Here's where Green mentioned a few solutions to address crime. Here's what he had to say on uh, with Block Club Chicago. 
tackling a mental health problem with social workers and reopening up those mental health facilities as wellness centers that tackle mental health holistically. Um, there's not just psychiatry, but all different type of ways so to, to, to get people well so that everyone wants to come into the institution and we address that stigma. Uh, and then making sure that young people have opportunities and, and safe spaces to go. Uh, and then moving police officers to only deal with violent crime. That's our strategy. And we would definitely be way under 700 with that strategy. And uh, that's $700,000. Lorraine Green is one of seven candidates Mm -hmm. who says uh, he or she will reopen the city's shuttered mental health facilities, which is according Mm -hmm. to the WBEZ mayoral questionnaire. We are emerging from a pandemic where mental health issues Mm -hmm. also were top of mind. Uh, Do you think that this is an issue that will resonate with voters? I think it'll resonate with voters, but I also think it's something that people feel like they can easily throw out there, and it's something that people think is easy to be done. Let's just reopen these clinics. And you've got to have the money to reopen them. You've got to have the money to hire you know, people to staff them. Uh, The city right now does have an initiative, and I'll be curious to see what the evaluation of it shows, where they have put more money into uh, working with existing clinics to expand their services, you know, to more city residents. I do think the idea of having more people, mental health workers who respond to calls that would normally go to police is a, yeah. makes a lot of sense. And that's something that the police department is working on. You know, that would be a good thing to see stepped up because so many calls <clears throat> that come to police, to 911, involve things that are probably don't require an armed officer to respond to. So if, yeah. you, if we, we had more teams where mental health workers could go out and respond, that would be great, I think. Maxwell Block Club also interviewed State Rep Cam Buckner earlier this week. Mm-hmm. What stood out to you about his plans? Uh, he's kind of established himself as the CTA candidate and as somebody who rides the CTA uh, very frequently. Mm-hmm. It's kind of my main transportation. That's That's definitely caught my eye. Um, he's brought a lot of attention to uh, uh, the the issue of ghost trains, which is where you look at a tracker either on a screen at the station or on your phone, says one is coming in five to ten minutes, and it just disappears at a certain point. So he's brought that up as a major issue uh, in getting around the city. He's also uh, touted the planned red line extension from 95th South to 130th Street. Um, it would open up uh, uh, more transportation lanes for far south siders as well. So really trying to focus in on the uh, the value of transit uh, across the city. Yeah. Well, the mayoral candidates, they're all participating in a lot of forums and debates right now. I'm sure you, you, you all have been trying to keep up just as I have been. I am hosting two forums as well next week during the show on Wednesday and Thursday at 11 right here on Reset. We're partnering with the Sun-Times and the University of Chicago on those. So I have a question for all of you. What issues do you think that the candidates need to address more before Election Day? I'm looking at you first, Alden. Um, the thing I would say is that... Uh, the as you know, Lorraine was kind of pointing out, I, there's a lot. There's been a lot of talk about crime, but I, I think I want to hear some very clear details. And you know, the the forms, that, at least the ones that I've that I've uh, caught uh, thus far, folks get 30 seconds. They maybe get a minute, mm-hmm. um, and the questions are very broad. So my hope is that uh, 
when people use that time, either they, they, they carve out a very small slice of the kind of the crime issue and they talk about that. Um, and there are a range of things with regard to, uh, so j talked some about uh, going after the underlying causes. So, you know, kind of give me an example and tell me very clearly what you want to do about that. Because um, I think uh, this being a prevailing issue, mm-hmm. everybody's talking about how they're going to address it in some way. I think the nuances of how people will react to this when they go to the polls is who's the candidate that is going to address crime in the way that I want to see it. So you've got some people who want to see more social services. They want to see, uh, you know, addressing some of the uh, kind of the underlying issues, the youth, particularly the 18 to 24 cohort. What 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 can we do to help bring those people whole? And then you've got some folks who are just hardliners. I want to know that when somebody has done something wrong, that we're going to give police the resources that they need to go out and capture someone yeah. and, and bring them to justice. And they don't want necessarily to hear about the philosophical, larger picture things around how should we should use police. It's like people are being robbed. People are being killed. How do we stop that? What are you going to do about it? And yeah. so I think the, the, the candidate who's able to kind of give the kind of details that hit those boxes and give people the sense, okay, I think I can really go with this person because they're going to make something happen. Yeah. I think the one's going to ultimately come out on top. Do you on agree, that, Lorraine? That I would agree. I mean, the, the devil is always in the details, especially when, you know, you're trying to get a job and you get a job. How are you going to do the job, especially in a city this big? Um, one thing that I think people are not really talking about but should be because it impacts everything else is is city finances. Chicago still has these very underfunded pensions. It's a wonky issue. You know, people's eyes glaze over. But as long as you're, you know, underfunding them and somehow have got to make up that deficit, that's money that, you know, is going to go to one thing where are you going to find the money for all these other things that sound great but have to be paid for? And one other quick thing I'd like to hear more about is how's the next mayor going to deal with public schools when you're going to have a 20 member school, 21 member school board in about a year? Yeah. What are you going to do about that? The next mayor can't just say, well, it's on you. And just let it go. Yeah. Any thoughts, Maxwell? Yeah, first off, I'd just like to say I, I am kind of heartened at seeing the uh, discussion around mental health in this race. I think that's really important. And, and, and just having an open discussion about what people need in order to feel uh, safe and secure in their own minds is, is a wonderful thing. But uh, something that I would like to see more of for sure is the issue of environmental justice, mm-hmm. uh, cover communities on the southeast side that for years and years have been pushing for uh, uh, the, the restoration of land that was used by steel mills, that was used by other forms of heavy industry and the city has repeatedly said uh, communities like the southeast side are overburdened with pollution. Um, uh, so so a, more of a focus on how to address that, how to move into an era of green industry, uh, really kind of heal communities like the southeast side, Pilsen, southwest side that have faced a lot of uh, industrial pollution. Uh, bringing that more on, on the radar would be great. Yeah. This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. It is Friday, so we are breaking down the biggest stories of the week with a panel of wonderful Chicago journalists. I've got with me WBEZ's Alden Lowry, Lorraine Forte from the Sun-Times, and Block Club Chicago's Maxwell Evans. Don't forget that you can also watch us recap the news live right now on WBEZ's Facebook and YouTube pages. You can also leave us a comment or a question. You can talk to us in that YouTube chat box, and I may just read what you have to say on the air. All right, we got to turn now 
based on time, to some aldermanic races, which Chicagoans are also going to be voting on in this month's election. So, Alden, what can you tell us about who is running to represent the new 34th Ward? Uh, you got two candidates uh, running in that ward, um, largely uh, really kind of focused on what you would expect. The 34th Ward is a new ward. It was a far south side ward. It's been remapped to essentially kind of just south of kind of downtown uh, uh, in that area there. Um, and so like most downtown wards, you know, the interest is going to be in terms of development, in terms of uh, propping up businesses, uh, but also the issue of, of, uh, of crime and safety. Uh, yeah. In particular, you know, the aftermath of uh, the uh, social unrest that we saw in 2020, um, you know, that's going to be a top of mind for a lot of people there. Um, uh, familiar names for, for folks who are kind of in that area, but, um, uh, but, uh, but yeah, I, 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 neither one of those candidates, I think it jumps out at me as somebody who's got an advantage. Uh, but, uh, but I think hitting on those boxes yeah. will be the thing that, that folks James Ascott, who's a 73 year old real estate broker and Bill Conway, Bill Conway, yes, 44 year old lawyer, uh, Lorraine Chicago's 26th ward. It covers parts of West town and Humboldt park. Uh, that will also see new leadership for the first time in many years because Alderman Robert Maldonado ended his re-election bid last month. So what do we know about candidates who are running for those positions? Well, anytime you you have someone uh, uh, who's retiring, it kind of throws it wide open. And I, I would think in those cases, what I've seen is that whoever m- might get the endorsement of the person who's retiring or mm-hmm. leaving or whatever might have an advantage. I'm not too familiar with that ward, but I have seen that that yeah. happen. That when well, get- he's 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 uh, endorsed one candidate, an uh, organizer named Jesse Fuentes. Okay, for and, his replacement. Yeah, and when you know when you have someone who has an endorsement and and goes out and meets people and and gets their name out there, a lot of times it's name recognition, especially when you have. A lot of different candidates. I mean, some, what is it, nine in some wards, 10 in some wards. Yeah. So, Someone on uh, YouTube, oh, it's Chicago 675, is, is basically wondering if the mayoral candidates have any plans to work with so many new aldermen. Just because so many new faces are going to be coming mm-hmm. on board, they're wondering, how, you know, does this person know that they're going to have to be dealing with lots of new members who will be elected? Any thoughts, Alden? Um, you know, I, I think it kind of depends. Uh, the I know when Lightfoot came on board, uh, you know, she kind of had a, uh, you know, she kind of had to pick and choose who she wanted to kind of connect with, and it was interesting because uh, some of the some of the uh, council really kind of uh, kind of coalesced in opposition against her, and she kind of had to pick and choose folks, and she actually I think won over some folks who I wouldn't have thought she would have gotten. Uh, in her camp initially. So like Michelle Harris, who's, you know, kind of a long time uh, kind of a Chicago politician. Um, and uh, she kind of came over to the Lightfoot camp. Mm-hmm. Uh, Scott Wagas Pack is another one who I would have thought was more kind of in line with her in terms of being kind of a reform minded uh, person. Uh, so she's got kind of like this eclectic mix of folks. Um, so, you know, personality is a part of that. But also it's kind of like what's the tenor and tone of the council itself. Exactly. And so. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I, I, it's really going to be hard to predict, it um, is. but, uh, but, you know, if, if Chewy Garcia were to win, I could see certainly there'd be a number of aldermen who might naturally gravitate for, toward him, 
But if someone like a Jamal Green or if uh, or or, or uh, like a Cam Buckner or someone else, uh, you could see a completely different set of folks who might uh, align with the mayor. Yeah, very good points there, Alden. What races are you paying attention to, Maxwell? Because there's a lot happening. Yeah, certainly. <laughs> and uh, I actually live in the fifth ward, and that is, I believe, it's the largest uh, race at this point. There are 11 different candidates. Uh, one was dropped off the ballot due to residency uh, challenge that was successful, but. I mean, it's it's gotten pretty intense in that race just with so many people trying to replace uh, Alderman Leslie Hairston, who's been there for 24 years, very well established in the community and uh, taking over for somebody that's that's been around for that long is uh, uh, sure to draw out a lot of new new blood as well mm-hmm. as people who maybe want to continue the uh, what Hairston had put in place. So uh, that's a very interesting race, as well as the 10th Ward race to uh, replace Alderman Susan Sedlowski Garza. Mm-hmm. Another person who's been yeah. there for a couple of terms and uh, has kind of established herself in, in city council, but decided to retire after this term. There are five candidates in that race. Not quite as messy as the uh, fifth ward, just uh, having half as many people, but still very interesting to see uh, members of the community step up and, and try and replace somebody who's been in council for a long time. We'll continue with some statewide news from this week. Former State Superintendent of Education Carmen Ayala announced back in November that she'd be retiring this month, and now a new superintendent was just named. So, Alden, what can you tell us about Tony Sanders' background in education? Well, Tony Sanders has a very interesting kind of uh, pedigree and, and history. He's been the superintendent uh, the Unit 46, which is the Elgin uh, Schools uh, District. Um, it's a, a com- combined district, uh, elementary and high school and it's the second largest school district in the state. Uh, it's a very diverse uh, uh, school district in terms of its student makeup. Uh, about three quarters of the students are students of color. Fifty-five mm-hmm. percent of the uh, of the student population is Latino, um, and sixty percent of the kids there are low income. So this is a uh, this is a, a very urban uh, kind of school district. And someone who's been there, I think he's been superintendent since twenty fourteen. His dad was also a, a superintendent, I think, in three states oh, wow. uh, and was the deputy secretary of education. So he's got this lineage and then this history. Um, so uh, a lot of good things have been said about him. Prisker's praised him. The district has has, has praised Do him. Do we have a sense yet of what he wants to accomplish in the role? Um, well, I haven't seen anything that he said publicly okay. yet about this, so that's unclear. But based upon what he's done in Elgin, I imagine that uh, dual education uh, or dual language programming is going to be a big thing for 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 uh, for what he wants to see statewide. And the Elgin district is a is a great district for for that kind of program. And uh, there's going to be a need for that, particularly in suburban Cook County and some other parts of the Chicago region that are diversifying. The Latino population has exploded in suburban Cook County. And we are, I think, beginning to see the seeds of some of that being planted in some of the school districts, Uh, particularly the Latino population in Illinois is younger. So when you see population centers that are largely Latino, Mm -hmm. there are usually going to be a a fairly healthy number of school aged children in those areas. And suburban Cook is, is, is growing in that way. So it's ideal time for someone with his background, with what he's done in Elgin, perhaps to be in this seat. Yeah. Um, the challenge, though, the big challenge is, you know, student performance, particularly among students of color, among poor children, is usually uh, not as good as it is among their white peers. Um, and so there's going to be that challenge. Um, and uh, Elgin has done well in terms of Elgin standards. Uh, they're kind of across the board. They're 
they're kind of typical with the statewide average. When you look at the early education numbers, though, the children in, in the early education program, which he started there, uh, are a little bit below average. And so so those are going to be some challenges that, mm. that need to be addressed. Um, so Big shoes to yeah, fill. Not to, not to mention funding. Funding, uh, of course, particularly for uh, districts where, where a fair number of the students are yeah. low income. Well, let's switch gears from education to covid President Biden plans to end the national COVID emergency and public health emergency, two separate emergency declarations. And Illinois will be following suit as well in ending its disaster proclamation that was enacted back in March 2020. We all remember what was happening in March 2020. So, Maxwell, can you remind us what the state proclamation did? Um, I can't recall exactly, but I do know that uh, uh, some combination of city, state, and federal uh, uh, lockdown really put people into into their homes for an extended period of time. That's when, like, when we were all really confused about whether we could ever go to the grocery store again, right. that kind of thing, ever go to a concert, <laughs> things like that. So I remember those we're times washing, well. Washing all of our boxes. And, uh, washing oh, yeah. the fruits for, uh, from the stores 15 different times in case somebody with COVID might have touched it because we were concerned <laughs> about that. Not good times. Yeah. Not good times. Or walk past it. Uh, Lorraine, what what do you make of the federal government ending the national COVID emergencies? Well, I think it's just it's a recognition of reality. I mean, you know, people are, are have largely returned to normal, going to restaurants, going to concerts, going to plays. You know, some of us are still wearing <clears throat> masks in public places. Um, vaccination overall has been good, except for the boosters. People are not getting their boosters in the numbers that they should. So I, I, I think that it's it's a recognition of reality that, you know, things have returned to normal and we can't stay in a state of emergency forever. Um, yeah. And, you know, we've got it kind of under control, not fully. You know, it's not going to go away. So, yeah. A couple of concerns, though, you know, folks with private insurance could face charges yeah. for uh, lab tests, even yes. if they ordered uh, if they're ordered by uh, a provider. Mm-hmm. Um, vaccinations also will continue to be free for those with private insurance who go to in-network providers. But going to an out-of-network provider could incur some charges. Alden, I know that during the pandemic, you have had your eye very closely on on COVID numbers, numbers, period. You're the data guy. Uh, But some of the disparities we saw, you know, Mm -hmm. with more black and Latino Chicagoans dying from COVID complications, et cetera. So your thoughts then on these changes? Um, I I say that we certainly have moved out of kind of the uh, kind of the the ultra emergencies, uh, state of emergencies that that we were in when when COVID first kind of uh, encountered us literally three years ago. Uh, the thing that concerns me, though, is that it's it's still a reality. And so as we are kind of moving back in normal into normal life, uh, it's those communities that are kind of more susceptible to when our guard is down, uh, as it was in February and March of 2020. Um, that's when those communities are, are hit the hardest. And so as we move on, and it'll be interesting to keep an eye on the numbers, um, that will still need to be something that we're deeply concerned about, the most vulnerable communities that they have, the protections that they need. And that's been the story all along. That mm-hmm. As we were kind of coming in and out of uh, uh, our various states of uh, kind of ultra protection, um, there were communities that were living a different experience with COVID than, than many others. And uh, that's a fact that I think kind of got lost in the shuffle to some degree. 
Turning to you now, Maxwell, you've been covering what is happening with a former Woodlawn Elementary School that's being converted into a place that will house and shelter migrants, the ones who recently arrived here in Chicago. So give us the latest. Yeah, so uh, kind of some context uh, citywide. The city has been dealing with uh, uh, migrants, mostly asylum seekers, being bused from states like Texas and Colorado, as well as arriving on their own in the city of Chicago. And uh, city officials have said this has really overwhelmed the uh, shelter system and the services that are in place for for people that arrive. And so amid all that, um, Mayor Lori Lightfoot's administration at first denied that they were going to open a shelter at the former Wadsworth School in, in Woodlawn. But a couple months later, uh, gave residents a couple weeks notice that uh, this is actually going forward. We're going to start moving uh, uh, to start a couple hundred migrants in and then growing that over time. Mm -hmm. And uh, the, the plans are going to be in place for two years. So these are a lot of details. It's a, it's a big development in the community. Um, th this building has been vacant for several years and, and neighbors have called for it to be used for a variety of community uh, uh, based functions. And so uh, the city's move to to open this as a shelter combined with very shoddy communication and kind of a back and forth as to whether yeah. it would even happen in the first place has caused well, a, a lot of frustration. Let's talk about that communication because the, the local alderman, Jeanette Taylor, and, and nearby residents, they were very upset. They said the city did not seek any more community input, um, you know, before actually deciding to, to set up this shelter in the school. And, and Taylor actually said that she wants the community to have, you know, open arms. What else are you hearing? Yeah, so a lot of focus has been paid on the pushback. I mean, there are some very real racial tensions being brought up between mostly black woodlawn and the mostly, if not entirely, Latino migrants arriving. Um, that, that's been a big focus in the news recently. Um, but I, I also think there's a willingness in the community to say, look, the city really didn't do us right on this. They didn't communicate with us. But now there are migrants here. Uh, they moved in yesterday. Um, and, and so this is happening. And how can we act on this? So uh, especially in recent in this this past week, I've been hearing from people like I've got this program I'm trying to get started or these community institutions are, are gathering together to, to provide resources. So I wouldn't want to paint it all as like, people are angry and anti-migrant or, or anything like that. Yeah. People are very angry, uh, and in my opinion, justifiably, but it's not as if everybody is anti-migrant or really, uh, uh, that this is all based in xenophobia, really. Yeah. yeah. I, I want to jump in on this because I, I happen to live about three blocks <laughs> from, where this, really? uh, from where this school is. Yeah, I, I live in Woodlawn. And what Maxwell just said is true, and I'm glad he pointed out that it, you know, yes, there is some angst, some anger there, but there are also groups there. I've heard about some churches who are wanting to start, you know, some kind of welcoming program. But there's also going on here, you know, this is a community. Woodlawn does need resources. So, yes, people question, well, we need resources, too, and now you're bringing migrants in. And there's also, you know, the alderman is not someone who gets along with the mayor. There's tension there, yeah. so the mayor is not going to get any benefit of the doubt from the, the yeah. alderman. But I, I'm glad to see that it's finally kind of starting to well, work what's out. What's your opinion on this? Here's a comment from a YouTube watcher. Chicago 675 says, I don't know if Alderman Taylor survives this Wadsworth issue. She may be a one-term alder person. I, she, she didn't show up to a forum last night. I, you know, this is, she was in a runoff last time. 
Um, I And there are a couple other candidates who are running. I think it will depend on who turns out where. Yeah. And how how high the turnout is. I would not be surprised to see a challenger win. And I did just want to flag that, uh, uh, speaking of that pushback, one, uh, two people yesterday tried to actually block one of the buses mm-hmm. or a couple of the buses from dropping migrants off at Wadsworth. One of them was 20th Ward uh, Aldermanic candidate Andre Smith. So uh, uh, he, he's running to running against Taylor, uh, has spoken out against Taylor's uh, uh, handling of the situation and the city's handling of the situation. And then, yeah, yesterday tried to actually yeah. stop one of the buses from from dropping people off. Yeah. Wow. He, he's tried to run before. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I, I recognize yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. It really will depend on on turnout, I think. Well, let's switch gears here to a sad story that we've been following, you know, since early January. And earlier this week on Reset, we talked about how the city of Chicago was reacting to the killing of uh, Tyree Nichols. This was by Memphis police. Many Chicagoans, especially those whose families and and friends were also killed by CPD, they gathered um, this week, you know, calling for more police reform. And Alden, since the release of uh, that video footage, some Chicagoans are, are calling for CPD officers to be disciplined for, for past incidents. So how else are organizers responding? I mean, I think organizers are are talking about it. Uh, we've seen a few things here. We've seen a few, a few things across the country. Um, I think the thing that people uh, one point that I think organizers are talking about is that, you know, this isn't while in the media it is often kind of portrayed as, you know, white police officer uh, uh black victim of police violence. And that has largely been the story that we've, we've seen, but, uh, but here are five black police officers in Memphis. And so this isn't necessarily a question about white police officers and black police officers. This is a question about police officers. Mm -hmm. And it's a question about the ways in which particularly young black men are viewed by police. Uh, This, if you, if you've seen the video starts as what, appeared to be maybe a routine traffic stop, and then it went completely south. And that's the other, I think, thing that, that organizers are talking about. When it's one thing for police to be hunting down someone that they have a great fear or suspicion of, um, but it's another thing for it to be a routine traffic stop. And you can hear Nichols, you know, talking to the officers, I'm just trying to get home. You know, I, oh, you know, that was the most heartbreaking part. You know, what did I do wrong when yeah. he was down on the ground? You know, officers were very aggressive with him. He's talking about, I'm, you know, I'm down here. I'm laying down here. What 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 have I done? Um, and so uh, so there are a lot of elements to this stop uh, that are signs of uh, where we really need to kind of rethink how we use a traffic stop, um, how officers should conduct themselves during those traffic stops. And oftentimes there's there's a question about I can remember being a, a young kid, my mom sat me down and said, hey, if you are stopped by police officers, this is what you need to do. Mm-hmm. And there's too much emphasis, I think, on the ways in which people should respond to police officers. I'm not saying that you shouldn't have that conversation because we live in a world where you probably really need to have that conversation. But we also need to be having many more conversations with our officers about how they conduct themselves in these stops. Correct. Because yeah. when these things do go wrong, as we saw in this case, the elevation really was 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 by the police officers more so than it was was Mr. Nichols. Yeah, this week we spoke with Damon Williams, who's co-founder of Let Us Breathe Collective, and he said that the shock from this moment for him and for other activists it comes from a place of frustration and also disappointment because there were a few new things to be learned. Let's listen. It's important to note that across the country, 
after the death of George Floyd, there has been an increase of investment in policing. Um, there has been an increase in police violence. In 2022 was the, the, the year where the most police killings on record was ever uh, recorded or noted. And so we, we are not seeing any improvement. We are seeing a continuation of, of what has been happening my entire lifetime. So with elections around the corner, Maxwell, do you think that the candidates are rethinking their plans for CPD just because of the outrage that is is coming after this killing? I think to Alden's point uh, earlier in the show, I haven't really heard a whole lot of details about what accountability specifically looks like, about what reform specifically looks like. And I don't believe that's for a lack of ideas. I I hear from organizers frequently uh, the many different ways in which uh, and in some ways competing, in some ways it's complicated. There's funding involved. It's not as if there's a clear answer, but I don't know that in in the uh, mayoral debates or in the aldermanic debates, I've really heard a lot of specifics. There is a, yeah. a, a desire, of course, to to end police violence. To uh, I've heard many talking points about we need to do something about this, which is plaguing plaguing not just Chicago but but our country. But uh, yeah, the specifics I can't say uh, uh, have really been been fleshed out. Lorraine, the Sun-Times published an article earlier this week about a study on financial disparities in Cook County. What can you tell us about this? Well, the study found, and to me it's a local example of the income inequality that that people know exists in this country. The study, the report found that in Cook County, people, the the, the extremes are, are greater here than elsewhere in the country. People are more likely to be financially unhealthy, meaning they can't save, they're struggling financially, especially if they're black and Latino. But there's also a group of people who are more likely to be financially healthy. Mm -hmm. So, you know, Cook County is just a, a textbook, if you will, example of income inequality in this country, which you know, as most people who've looked at it even cursorily, yeah, I think that's the right word, no, is <laughs> skewed greatly toward not just the wealthy, but the ultra-wealthy who own a, a disproportionate amount of, of the nation's wealth yeah. or control a disproportionate amount. Well, someone else has probably been looking at it. Alden, right? Would you Would you say that this is something that we have been seeing for a long time in Cook County? Uh, I would say yes, uh, no doubt. I mean, Chicago in particular uh, seems to, uh, you know, kind of illustrate some of our inequalities, uh, uh, even even on a grander scale. One of the things I think is interesting, and I don't know if it was a part of this study, but I know in, in research that we've done, uh, taking a look at who's coming to Chicago and Cook County, who's mm-hmm. leaving Chicago and Cook County yeah. uh, over the past 10, 20 years. Very telling. You have a disproportionate number of lower-income folks leaving the city, leaving the county, and a disproportionate number of higher-income folks coming to the city, coming to the county. Um, and so this, these extremes that Lorraine is talking about, I think if that trend continues, they're going to get even more pronounced. Yeah. Here's another story that made headlines this week. Cook County State's Attorney Kim Fox is dropping four indictments accusing R. Kelly of assault and sexual abuse. R. Kelly is currently facing 10 to 90 years in prison for two separate federal charges. Here's a little bit of what Attorney Fox had to say about that decision. Due to the extensive sentences that these convictions hold, our office has decided not to continue to expend our limited resources and court time with the, with the indictments that we previously charged Mr. Kelly. We believe in a victim-centered approach where we recognize the needs of our survivors 
and recognize that sometimes justice is served even when there is no conviction. Lorraine, what do you make of this? <laughs> well, uh, R. Kelly right now is in prison where he rightly belongs. I can understand the, the you know, the state's attorney saying, why are we going to, you know, spend more resources to prosecute someone who is going to spend decades in prison regardless Uh I would assume that they spoke with the victims and and had, you know, the understanding with the victims that this was going to happen and they were were on board with it. But he's been convicted. Let him. He's in prison. He's not going to get out. So why would you go expend a lot of resources just reconvicting him and when he's already in prison? Any thoughts, gentlemen? I haven't followed this case too closely, but uh, uh, just knowing that he is in in prison already, uh, I have actually seen, uh, I believe it was one of the victims did say that this was a problem for them and that they, they, they did feel that justice wasn't being served. Uh, I believe she called for um, uh, her case should mm-hmm. deserve just as much attention and deserves just as much, uh, 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 yeah, attention around around the others that, that sent him to, to prison in the first place. But yeah, beyond that, I, I can't say can't say too much. D Farm on YouTube says, not generally a fan of our state's attorney, but this was the right decision. No reason to waste time, money, and resources on another trial. All right, let's move on, Maxwell, and switch gears a bit uh, and talk about a story that you wrote this week. It was about Promontory Point. Yeah, so the city has uh, designated $5 million in city bond funds to design, plan and design a uh, repair for Promontory Point, which has been Mm -hmm. much like the rest of Chicago's lakefront, battered Mm -hmm. by high lake levels, storms, uh, uh, really taking a beating from from Lake Michigan over the last uh, few years, especially. And uh, uh, during that process, neighbors have been very concerned that these repairs are going to get rid of the most iconic feature of uh, of Promontory Point, which is its limestone steps. And those limestone steps, uh, I love to like sit there and look yeah. at the skyline after it, a bike are ride. Are they sticking around? Uh, so that's what they're leaning towards. This is just a design process uh, that the city is getting started. Uh, promises are being made at this point. No final plans, but promises are being made that the limestone is going to be preserved. Uh, that this design process will result in that and that neighbors' input will uh, have some sort of impact. But again, at this point, it's too soon to say that that's final, just promises being made. Yeah. Well, Lorraine and, mm-hmm. and Alden, what do you guys think? Have you spent time at Promontory? Oh, uh, I have. I mean, who who hasn't? I mean, right. I, exactly. If you, live in, if you live, in, if you live anywhere near there, yes. And the limestone steps yeah. have to stay. Yeah. And yeah. even, I mean, I didn't grow up uh, in that area, mm-hmm. but uh, but made many trips to the lake, mm-hmm. of course. And uh, I mean, it, it's 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 such a unique and iconic feature. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's something that many Chicagoans are familiar with. So, yeah, the best to try to keep them around. Yeah. And especially for such a segregated city, I, I do believe that's probably the most diverse place. You go there and it's people not just sitting next to each other, not just like showing face next to each other. They're interacting with each other, uh, different people that look different from each other, people that are different ages. It's a really wonderful place to be in terms of diversity mm-hmm. in the city. Yeah. You're reminding me of a, another YouTube comment that we saw float by this afternoon from Paige Smith, who says, Maxwell, sir, I love your work and your tenacity of holding and speaking truth to power. So I wanted to make sure that you got your flowers there, Maxwell. Beautiful. Thank you. Thank Beautiful you. addition to this recap. So we can't forget, gang, it was Groundhog Day yesterday. <laughs> Alden, lay it on us. Six more weeks of winter or no? 
Uh, yes, he <gasps> did not. He, he did see a shadow. He, I he don't did know. Not did see he see a shadow or know. did he not? I think he did see a shadow, and that means Whatever that, yeah. means that you still have six weeks of we, winter. Yes, oh, yes. do you that, know that? This is he Chicago. We don't it. need the... I mean, it's going to... I mean, who knows? It could <laughs> snow in, in May for all we know. Don't say that. <laughs> so, no, I mean, but it's I'm, true. It's it probably going to happen. Me. I'm just saying. Right. Um, all right. So now that we've got six more weeks, let's talk about some events that we can look forward to. Really just one event because we're running out of time in the coming months. And because uh, it's my show and I want to talk about Beyonce. Uh, <laughs> Beyonce is coming back to Chicago. I've been seeing uh, predictions for mm-hmm. some ridiculous ticket prices. Um, the cheapest being like a little over $500. Ooh. A really good Samaritan on Twitter, a fellow member of the Beehive in the UK, they posted the official prices because that's been released over on that side of the world in, in British pounds. Here in the US, we won't really know until Monday, but you know, anybody think this is going to turn into that Taylor Swift Ticketmaster situation <laughs> all over again? Just, oh. uh, it sounds like it will. I, I mean, I can't imagine Ticketmaster has taken any action to overhaul their system in the last couple months. So I, I, f- I feel bad for anybody who's a member of the Beehive. I would guess you're you're going to have your problems trying to get those those tickets. Well, listen, I don't want to hear yeah. that. I, <laughs> but but if any anybody can fill Soldier Field and oh, it's, it's Beyonce, it's Beyonce yeah. I'm, I'm... I will be there in the front. <laughs> I'll make it happen. All right, that's it for the Weekly News Recap. Our thanks to Alden Lowry, WBEZ Data Projects Editor, Lorraine Forte, Editor page editor for the Chicago Sun-Times and Maxwell Evans, Hyde Park, Woodlawn, and South Shore reporter for Block Club Chicago. Thank you all. Have a great weekend. This episode of Reset was produced by Micah Yason and Brenda Ruiz, and it was edited by Andrew Merriweather. That's all for Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. Have a great weekend. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.